0: You are listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also make sure you're following us on all social media at underscore. Enjoy the show. Hello and
1: welcome to the 201st episode of the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. This is Jared podcasting alongside Lucas and Wyatt. Let's get straight into it um, with news from college football. <laughs> what?
0: Won't our listeners be confused given the Farewell Wyatt title of our last episode?
1: It's like a break glass
2: in case of emergency <laughs> thing. <laughs> I was sending out so many texts in the group chat of like this and that and this. And it's, it's like, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll voice my thoughts for a sec. I'm
1: happy. I'm happy about it.
0: Yeah, it should be fine. Right.
1: But All right. we'll get into the news that, um, of course... Nick Saban, uh, the greatest college football coach, maybe greatest coach ever, uh, has retired from the game of football and from Alabama, Alabama Crimson Tide are now on a coaching search right now. Um, many of the names to me, I understand the position of Alabama kind of being just able to call up whoever they want sort of thing, but I think it doesn't make sense for a lot of the candidates that have been mentioned. Um... But first, I want to I want to talk about, like, can we consider how desirable the Alabama job really is? Like, okay, so, yes, it always has been a great job. They're, like, second as a program. Alabama is second in total wins ever. And being second in total wins ever is not just recent success. Case in point is, like, Oregon has been very successful recently. They're only 50th. Like, Alabama has always been good. And they were getting good players. And... Like Big Baron, particularly under Bear Bryant, all that, they have all the legacy, all that stuff. But when Nick Saban took the job, they were a sleeping giant rather than a current powerhouse, which made Bama much more attractive than when he took the job. Like their last champ their last when he took the job, their last national championship was back in nineteen ninety two. He took over a coach that was not doing um anywhere near as well. Like they had the one ten win season, I think their coach did, but was not doing that in the years before, years prior and they were getting good players but not great players I was really curious about that this I look back at recruiting rankings on rivals.com uh, and their 2007 class was 10th which Saban wouldn't have recruited that class even though he started in 2007 that's the last class he didn't recruit they were 10th that year 2006 11th 2005 18th 2004 15th so even though they weren't that good i guess they still were like recruiting at a top 20 level right but then Sabin got them great players and took them to a new new level like literally the first year first class he recruited was the number one recruiting class <laughs> in 2008 mm-hmm. but also interestingly notre dame was the second best recruiting class that year according to rivals which i thought was interesting I
0: but like how that turned out <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah exactly the point is is when he took the job at Alabama, there was another gear that he could get the team to, and now there for whoever takes this job next, there is no other gear to get this team to now. There's really nowhere to go but down, almost. Like the fan base and media and boosters, sure have not had a national championship since 2020, but that seat will be scorching hot from literally day one, and I just don't find that appealing for a lot of these other candidates, and um, I also think. This is another pushback is like, um, well, a coach at X program has taken them as far as they can go. But I think that the way that Saban was able to raise Bama, like a, a very prestigious brand in college football history, from their 10 to 20 recruiting rankings to outright number one, makes me push back on the notion that like any coach that has like a very, that's at a historical program, which a lot of these names are, has taken it as far as it will go. I think, like, particularly Notre, Notre Dame is, like, one of them. Like, not that Freeman is, like, a serious contender, but, like, that kind of makes, like, Notre Dame doesn't really have an excuse. Like, Nick Saban did, wasn't handed the keys to a Mercedes. He might have gotten, a, like, a, a Lexus or an Acura, but it, <laughs> it, it, he took it to a Mercedes or to, like, Ferrari, whatever uh, you want to mm. use. And also, that's my pushback to, like, somebody like Lane Kiffin, where, like, Wyatt, you said this earlier, that he's taken Ole Miss as far as it will go. I, I don't know if I agree with that notion because – Good coaches are able to take them from being like a 10 to 20 recruiting rankings to like – and Kirby Smart's doing this now too, to one or two. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, And at risk, I don't want to talk too much at once. I do want to first hit just on Dan Lanning though. Um, He has already announced that – like he's already taken his name out of consideration publicly for that. But that one really never made sense to me personally I know that pretty much every Oregon coach like leaves for another job in three years or whatever. Um, but now that Oregon is moving into the Big 10 and there's a 12-team playoff, I just don't, I think it's a completely different job now. Oregon is, and a really, really good one now. You got the, like the Nike money with NIL and all that stuff too. Phil Knight backing. And when Oregon was in the Pac-12 and there was a four-team or BCS championship game, your margin for error was so slim. But now it's it's actually being in the Big Ten and it's a 12 team playoff, it's really big now. And you're gonna be playing in like big marquee games a lot. So I think Oregon's like a really good job. The expectations are not crazy, but you have really good resources there. I think Oregon's like almost one of the most ideal jobs out there. And they've kinda of branded themselves now as like a transfer factory, kinda of like what um, Oklahoma was, particularly when Lincoln Riley was there. Like Oklahoma's quarterback Dylan Gabriel, he's pretty good but was hurt a little bit. Is transferring over to Oregon. They just got Bo Nix, and look at what they were able to do with him there. So I feel like they're going to kind of maybe even build themselves as kind of like a transfer quarterback factory, and that Oregon is actually a really good job now. Um, also, I want to give, I guess, give credit in quotations to Dan Lanning that like a lot of coaches when their name is floated around in these these things, don't they just let the rumors go? They don't say anything. Uh-huh. And the, and Dan Lanning just immediately was like, "No, I'm staying at Oregon." He even said – apparently he even said something like, if you're worried about your coach leaving, come to Oregon because I'm not leaving sort of thing, which I think is a good pitch. Most coaches – because, like, sure, every coach can say that, but most coaches don't say that when they're, like, potentially the number one opening for a prestigious job. But at the same time, I don't think the Dan Laney one ever made sense to me. Other thoughts? Sorry, I don't want to talk for too much at one point, so let's open up the four.
2: Go ahead, Lucas.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess we'll start back to your, your first point they made about the desirability of the Alabama job. Um, and I, I saw a good tweet or some post on some social media part of an article that said, I'd love to be the Alabama coach two guys down the line because mm-hmm. there's no way you can ever live up to right what Saban has done. You can be the most successful, you can even win a national championship, but it'll never be what Saban did. Um, and so there's just no winning, basically, if you're the next head coach. But two down the line, you have a little more leeway, you have a little more rebounding from whoever um, takes over here. Because I think whoever takes over here will have a fairly short leash, fair or not, because they'll always be just sort of compared to the excellence of Saban. So in that way, I don't really think it's a desirable job at all. If you are a Dan Landing, and we'll get into more of these names later, a Caelan DeBoer, a Mike Norvell, I don't know how appealing it is at some point to take that job when instead of you're going from a program on the rise where you step in the ladder of success seems you know, positive and there's growth versus moving to Alabama. Like you said, you're, you're taking the keys to a Mercedes. You are, you, and you have to keep up the standard of excellence or the boosters, which at Alabama has really intense boosters, um, are going to be on you the second you even slip. Like if you have a nine win season, something that hasn't happened there and who knows how long you're already going to be on the hot seat. Whereas any other program you take a program on the rise, um, That'll be seen as a progress and success. Like, I even think you see that a little bit with Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. Like, his first year being nine wins, everybody's like, okay. Like, it's a solid sort of starting point. You can't do that in Alabama. So, I don't know why, if you're Dan Landing, for example, and he did come out, right, and say that he's staying, uh, I don't know why you would switch to Alabama when you can build on what you're doing in Oregon versus, um, you know, coming to Alabama where it's just high pressure, a nightmare. I wouldn't want to deal with it personally at this point. Like it's different, like you said, when Saban took over in '07 of being a sleeping giant, um, but now it's kind of a thankless task because no matter who you are, you're not going to be Saban. I think that that's kind of where I disagree. I think that the
2: thing about Nick Saban being the greatest college football coach of all time is that nobody ex- nobody should expect you to also be the next greatest head football coach of all time in, in college. I think that the next person who comes in. Kind of gets a little bit of a leave of like, we know you're not gonna be Nick Saban. Yeah, I just I think it would be unrealistic for a booster or a fan to be like, we're gonna keep this up. Because but they will do what, it. What anyway. I think
1: <laughs> I agree, but they'll do what, it anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh.
2: What I think is gonna be important for whoever they hire for the Al- Alabama job is who can capture momentum, and that's where I think that someone like Lane Kiffin does fit in because. Mm-hmm. At Ole Miss, prop- there isn't really a whole lot of momentum for him to, like, hey, come here, bring in. I know that the transfer portal is different, and NIL adds another element, and then and recruiting is a little bit more diverse because of NIL. But I think that if Lane Kiffin goes to Alabama, he can convince the players who are already there. He can convince them, like, it's a new era. I'm an established head coach. We have momentum going into this. And that's where I think Dan Lanning would have fit into that, but I also agree that it doesn't make sense for him to leave in Oregon. Because Oregon has momentum of their own. So I think mm-hmm. that, um, like, Dion Sanders, he captured so much momentum. And obviously, it's not like he won a national championship or anything like that. <laughs> but he has a lot of positive things going for him at Colorado, a school that doesn't really have much going for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Oregon has a lot of momentum going into the Big Ten, uh, playing as well as they did. And uh, they have no reason to really give up on Dan Lane in that way. So that's why I think that, like, if you were to move on to, like, the Tommy Reese's or – Marcus Freeman, no offense, uh, or somebody who kind of doesn't really excite you in a momentum type way, I think that that's where you start really making the comparisons and judging them under the Nick Saban scope versus bringing in, you know, somebody who can really get the gears flowing a little bit, whether they're going to be as good or not. Somebody who can, like, really, like, pump up the group. To a sense that, like, okay, maybe we'll be okay. Maybe, like, maybe, like, you people that force people to see the vision past the next two years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. I just don't know if a guy with Kiffin, there's like, and I agree that, like, I think the way you present it is the right way to look at it because I don't know. There's no way anybody's going to be saved, but I think that all those things happen in such recent memory that people are going to unfairly hold whoever takes over to the standard. And while I do agree, you need to have, like, sell a vision, have a guy like that is able to do that I don't know if necessarily somebody like Lane Kiffin is the guy to do that I think in in doing that they're gonna really look at like a track record of excellence like they need somebody who's won it everywhere that they've gone and I thought Kiffin would be you know like definitely under consideration the way he's told turned old Miss around at this point has been very impressive they were good this year they're really really like killing it the transfer portal I think I saw it again today they got Logan Diggs the um the running back, who was at Notre Dame and at LSU and two. So they're just adding talent and adding talent on top of it. But I think there's a little difference between, like, an 11-2 and year and a 10-3 and year at Ole Miss, a couple good 10-1 seasons at Florida Atlantic, and they're just not a good year, not a good, like, track record, really, at Tennessee or USC. That I don't think... I think whoever gets hired to needs to be sold to the boosters as somebody who will continue Saban's legacy. And I don't think Kiffin necessarily can do that because he's never... Like, and he's coached at a heavyweight before. He's coached at USC not too long after the Pete Carroll era ended, and he wasn't able to win. I think there really needs to be a selling point. And I guess we'll move into, like, going through the individual names because we've sort of hinted at all, like, a lot of names here and there. So I'm guessing (laughs) soon we'll just start going through all the individual ones and Mm -hmm. saying what we think. But I think whoever gets it really has to be sold to the boosters, to the fans, to everybody involved in the program, like, not only like selling the vision like you talked about Wyatt like getting people excited but like there has to be a track record of excellence like an actual belief like you're not betting on necessarily the future you also need to bet on the present too this person has won
2: the only person who fits that bill not necessarily in the winning aspect but can continue the legacy um, some success it's Sarkeesian from Texas and he's one of those people who I think Mm -hmm. Texas has enough momentum getting Arch Manning finishing in the top four having such so much success over the last two years they have enough momentum that it doesn't make sense for him to leave either and they get the moment the added momentum of like we're joining the sec this next year so i, I it doesn't make oh. sense for me for him to move on because uh, you know and we'll kind of talk about this with the patriots i don't know if they necessarily need to do somebody who is like directly linked to nick saban It's a fresh wound because he retired so quickly or so unexpectedly. Um, And he, it's not like a mutual parting of ways. It's not like they had a bad season and you're like, okay, I, I got like the, you know, little bug in my ear that says he might be retiring at some point or maybe it's time for him to hang up. This all happened out of the blue. None of us saw this coming. So it might be a fresh wound. Like, we need to basically bring in his son in a sense. Like, we need to bring in Nick Saban. 1.5 1.5 to, like, come in and <laughs> and be the person to lead us forward. I think that Alabama can, like, turn a new leaf, basically. And it's going to be, like, the hard work uh, and the emotional work and fans emotionally are going to have to find a way to do it. But they can go and get somebody who's, like, not connected to Saban. I think, again, I think there needs to be some momentum. But, like, mm-hmm. if they uh, – well, I guess this will jump starters. If they went and got the Kalen DeBoer from Washington, mm-hmm. I think that that would be a good move. I think
0: that that's fair. That, yeah, I. All right. Yeah. Go ahead, Lucas. I was gonna say, do we want to just start going through each of the names that we have sort through, of written yeah. down and going through how we think? So the first one we have written down is Dan Lanning. We've touched on this a little bit already. Um, Jared, you said you didn't think it would be a good idea for Lanning. I'm of the similar opinion that I also don't think it would be for the same reason. I know the Alabama job has the allure of. You know, being Alabama and like the most successful team in history, having the most national championships, all that. But I think he's building a really good thing at Oregon. And I also think it'll probably going forward be easier to win in the Big Ten than it will in the SEC. As much as I think the SEC's reputation gets trumped up a little bit, I think he'll have a better chance there, especially because recruiting in that conference, he'll have a fairly exclusive territory over parts of the country that um, mm-hmm. the other schools won't be fighting for as much. So in addition to all that, I think he has a nice little niche in Oregon. I think it'll be easier to make the playoffs. I don't think it's worth it for him to take on the burden of expectations of going to Alabama um, as opposed to staying in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: th- I also think, too, like he's going to become a better coach. Like this – Colin Coward's thing was like, I watched Kalen DeBoer beat Dan Lanning three times uh, with worse players. Like and Dan Lanning had better players. But Dan Lanning's only 37. Like this is his first head coaching job. Uh, Kalen DeBoer is, like, really – we'll get into him later, but, like, really been around the block. Like, Dan Laney, I think, is going to become a better coach, too, probably as he goes on. And, yeah, I think Oregon's a good place to do that right now. He's probably not – he's, like, he's kind of like – Alabama's, like, maybe in 10 years, but, like, not right now, maybe. You know, kind of kinda, kinda such. But I also think, too, why like, – just real quick, going back to something you said, um, that, like, yeah, the expectation – I think I agree, sure. The expectation won't for them won't be for them to be saving in the win the six national championships here. But it will be win a national championship in like three years. That will that will hundred percent be like the expectation. Which I think that's why it's not that desirable. But that's my thought on it. Same with so like Steve Sarkeesian going on to or why, do you have anything you want to say on Dan Lanning? Um I, if Dan
2: Lanning decided he wanted to take it, I think he would have had a, he would have had a lot of success at Oregon. Uh, I think that they would have probably captured, kept going at a similar pace. I agree that I think he's a really good coach. Um, sorry, he would have had a lot of success at Alabama if he had taken the job. Yeah, uh, but if he, it, he's a really good coach, and like you said, I think he is going to get better as well. Oregon is like, this is going to sound crazy. Oregon is like modern, like Alabama adjacent today. Like when it comes to mm-hmm. the momentum and the hype and the winning and all that. I mean, they've mm-hmm. been a really successful school the last about almost about 10, nine or 10 years now at this point, since we were graduating oh, high yeah, school. Definitely. So it, it's like they're, they're Alabama adjacent from the last decade, I would say. Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, from a public perspective, Steve Sar- I would say. Yeah, definitely. Not, not a resident Steve Sarkisian. I agree with you, Wyatt. Um, the, the thing is with, with all these guys is, is the Alabama job like that much more desirable? And Texas definitely not much more desirable than Texas. And, like, and like he brought Texas' is back. He brought them back, <laughs> you know? I I think you can say that now. So, yeah, I agree. He's got a lot of good momentum there. I don't th- see him. I definitely see Alabama make sense that they would make the call, but I don't see him. Uh, and he'll listen, maybe, but I don't see him taking it.
0: Yeah, I think, for me, Sarkeesian is um, maybe a good choice, but I don't see why you would leave in any situation. Like, he, he has a chance to become what Saban was at Alabama to Texas, in which he has revived a sleeping national giant of a brand. And I don't know why you would give that up. And I think he's bought himself a lot of goodwill even just making the playoff this year. Uh, Obviously, there'll be higher expectations of going into the SEC, but I think he's bought himself a lot of goodwill there that he wouldn't necessarily be able to transfer over to Alabama. Also, in a similar vein with Kiffin, I think it would be harder to sell him as a continuity of excellence guy. I know Texas made the playoffs this year, but if you look at his track record otherwise, it's not... The greatest. You look at his time at Washington. He never had more than eight wins in a season. His time at USC. He was there one and a half years, and I know he had the alcohol problems, and I'm glad all that seems to be resolved um, from his side. Um, but he was nine and four in his one full season at USC, slightly better than Kiffin was there. Um, and then at Texas, yes, this year was really really good, but in the other two years he was five and seven and eight and five. So in his, you know, let me count them up really quick. We have ten full years nine and a half years of coaching from Sarkisian, he's only had more than 10 wins once in a season. I think that becomes a little bit of a more difficult sell to Alabama boosters, that it'll be sort of like this consistent level of excellence when that's only happened once. And it's not like he's been coaching at small programs either. He's coached at Washington, which, you know, isn't on the level of Alabama, but is a consistent nationally good school at USC, who at least historically is on the level of Alabama. And then Texas, who is on the level um, of Alabama, so he's coached at these big programs, and only really had one season I would call excellent, which is this past one. I don't yeah, know if he can but, sell
1: on one year, you know. But I, yeah, but I don't, I don't think it's selling on one year because the year that he, like from Washington, they went 0 and 12 the year that, the year before he got there they went 0 and 12, and the year before that yeah. 4 9, the year before that 5 and 7, 2 and 9. You know what I mean? Like, he was not definitely not taking over like a talented roster. So that's where I, I would push back on that a little bit personally. And I like, I kind of like his redemption story too. So I'm like a yeah, little Yeah, yeah. I for sure that. did too. But yeah. But I, I think it's fair that like, yeah, he hasn't, what you, you said one ten win season or two?
0: Just one this Just time the season one this year. Season he's yeah, ever had, so. yeah. But I think he's a good coach. Um, no. But I think Texas is a good place for him. I think he can yeah, grow something organically there, without the pressure of Alabama versus like getting thrown into Alabama. I don't think he's necessarily wholly prepared to do that given his experience. Yeah, given like he's been good at like slowly building and improving, but he hasn't like taken over like this level of program and maintained. Like, I don't know if he'll be able to maintain it, Texas. Like, if he comes out in the next few years, and Texas, I know it'll be easier to make the playoff, but if they make the playoff each of the next two, three years, Texas, then I'm like, okay, he can maintain that excellence of a program. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I quite buy it yet. So, That's fair. Okay. So now we'll get into some interesting
1: names. This is probably the most interesting one out there right now. Kalen DeBoer, coach of the Washington Huskies right now. I'll just go. I just want to go first and then I'll let you guys speak. Sorry. I think this one makes sense from both sides' standpoints, from Alabama and DeBoer's standpoint, more than it does from Steve Sarkeesian's and Dan Lanning's. But I still don't see it happening because Kalen DeBoer has spent no coaching time in the South. And I think that does matter in college football if you're going to try to recruit in that area. Like, you don't know any of the high school coaches down there. You don't have any of those tie ins or whatever. And it's probably. Or it is like a different beast than coaching in the Midwest and the west coast, and that's been that's been his entire history like he he grew up in South Dakota, that's where he first got his coaching job um, start in college football, won three NAIA national championships at Sioux Falls, crazy like crazy successful, then went Southern Illinois, eastern Michigan Fresno State, Indiana, Fresno State again, now Washington like he's been a West Coast midwest guy his entire career. but I don't think like. I just think going to, like, Bama and going to the South is, like, maybe a little bit too much of a culture shock. Like, Brian Kelly's kind of obviously, like, kind of famously, like, tried to make up his Southern accent <laughs> and everything. But I feel like maybe he's kind of struggling a little bit maybe with that, like, acclimation to, like, that different kind of recruiting landscape and stuff. And I think, like, with, with all the talk that, like, all right, Jim Harbaugh might go to the NFL, and he definitely not denied that or anything, if I were him, I'd wait for Michigan to open and wait for a call and, and maybe see if they, they'll give him a call. But that's – they might – and Michigan might hire their interim coach, um, which would be a really good hire. I think it would make sense. But I think Kalen DeBoer would be on Michigan's list too when Jim Harbaugh leaves. So I, I, I think – I still think if I'm, like, putting money, I don't think this one – this is not the one I'm putting money on, and I don't bet anyway, but, like, this is not my – the first likely one in my opinion. But what do you all think?
0: What I'll let you go first if you have thoughts.
2: Yeah, I th- I feel like it is. And <clears throat> it's it sounds silly because it's just, like, totally a vibe thing. I feel like Washington is peaking. I think yeah. that Oregon is going to get better. And I think that this is a chance to capture the momentum and be like, we just made it to a national championship game. And now I'm your head coach at one of the most prestigious programs in all of college. And I think that that's... That's like a foot and then all the way up to the knee in the door. Like that's like that's like <laughs> enough to to really mm-hmm. kind of get people going and excited about it. So I, I do, I just, yeah, I just think that that, it makes sense for me, for him. Because I just, I think that there are some programs you feel like this is not necessarily sustained success, especially honestly, and this is hypocritical because of, Oregon when they get a transfer quarterback they boom and then it's like okay like are you going to develop a quarterback are you pro- currently developing quarterback what are the chances you get another transfer quarterback and Penix has been there for a couple of years but last year was a really good year as well and I think if Penix were to leave I, I would have not believed they were going to maintain what they did last year
0: yeah I think from my perspective this is for both sides, the best higher. I think I'm with Wyatt that his stock is never going to be higher than it is mm-hmm. now joining the big 10. It's going to be more difficult for him. And, Plus, and, I know sorry, I talked about, just to yeah, add anyway.
2: on to that, his stock will never be higher. And like, it's not like this job is going to open up next year. So there's, yeah, there's nothing exactly. else that he can do at this current moment to, to be higher on the list. Unless he's like, they'll fire whoever they had next year and I'll go and I'll, win the national championship and then they'll hire me it's it doesn't make any sense
0: yeah and i think with that and along with i've talked a lot about like the proven winner thing like you need to be able to sell the boosters that somebody is going to be able to somebody who's going to come right in and win and that's what deborah is more than landing or sarkeesian or really anybody else we've talked about kiffin because south dakota where do you coach sioux falls south sioux dakota? falls yeah sioux falls excellent there um, basically, from the time he took over being coached... Sorry, I had these stats pulled up, and I need to pull it back up. But, yeah. 2005, he takes over. They're 11-2 immediately. Then they win the national championship in his second year, lose the national championship in his third year, and then win the national championship his fourth and fifth year. Fifth year, Yes, it's at the NAIA level, but still, that's consistent level of excellence. Yeah, it's winning. And then his next job at Fresno State... His first year is the COVID year. I don't think you can count that. Comes in immediately 9-3 and three at Fresno State, which you know, not the greatest program in the world, but like a good consistent program, he immediately came in, win nine games. Then he comes to Washington the next year and then immediately 11 games, number eight ranking. Second year, makes the championship game. That's a level of consistent winning and excellence like within the first couple years that none of the other guys on the list that are being considered really have. So I think if you're selling it to the boosters again of the continuity sort of angle of it, I think DeBoer's the best choice too. So because for him personally, his stock's never going to be higher for Alabama, I think you get the most consistent winner of all these guys. I think DeBoer mm-hmm. should be the higher. And I just saw an article from The Athletic. Those tweeted within the last few minutes that apparently Alabama has narrowed in on three candidates, and he's one of them. Ooh, okay. We, I we think... get to talk about the other two as well. So Okay, That's cool. We'll
1: see if we get to them. Um, or we will get to them, but we'll see if they, I already had them on my list or not. I think I agree from like Alabama's standpoint makes a ton of sense. And, like, from, like, a peer, like, yeah, his stock is never going to be higher. That's true. I just don't know if, like, based on his history, if he wants to – I don't know if he wants to live there. That's, is, that's really my, my uh, vibe there. Is he, he's, like, he could have taken an OC job probably somewhere in the SEC, but he's always taken just Midwest jobs. Midwest or uh, West Coast. So that's where, I, that's where I'm, like, I just don't know if he wants to live there. But <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. Very interesting.
0: That's fair. I mean, he did say, there was a quote from him, and this has gotten lost in everything that's happened recently, when mm. the Pete Carroll job opened up, this quote surfaced, the Seahawks job, mm-hmm. that he's like, I never, I'm not going to leave Washington, I'm not going to leave Seattle until my daughter's graduated from college, because she goes to UW, obviously because he coaches there, but he's like, if oh. the Seahawks called, I'd like to, the-. was, it was something to that extent, of like alluding to if the Seahawks called, um, mm. because obviously you stay in Seattle. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's my, I mean, we can talk about that when we talk about the Seahawks down the line too, but yeah, I just, the only thing holding me back from this happening is the fact that he seems to just like, like living in the West coast and he says, said as much and he's put together a good program here, but from both of their like objectively looking at perspectives, I think that DeBoer would be the best hire. Yeah, you guys are definitely right on that.
1: Okay, so I don't know if, I don't remember if the rest of these names are on the same outline, but I'll go through my next one real quick. The next one I have, this is, if I were to guess on who it's going to be, this is my guess, is Mike Norvell from Florida State. I think this one makes sense because he's he's already been in the South, right, he's in Florida, done a really excellent job at Florida State. He took a team that went 5-7 and seven, and 6-7 and seven, the two prior years before he arrived. Went 3-6, again, in the COVID year. Like, sure, we'll just discount that one. 5-7, and 10-3, 13-1 this year. And the thing about Florida State is it's in, like, the second tier of conferences now. You know what I mean? It's the Big Ten mm-hmm. and the SEC. They got shut out of the playoffs. They're stuck in the ACC for a really long time and might fall behind in terms of the revenue power struggle that's basically happening in college football, which is where this conference realignment is all coming from. And apparently, like, the SEC doesn't want them either. And, like, Florida State would very much oppose Florida State. Uh, or Florida, rather, the Florida Gators would very much oppose Florida State joining. And then the Big Ten, like, probably just doesn't really make sense geographically. But, I, mean, I don't know, geography doesn't really matter in this conference realignment anyway. But <laughs> seems like they're stuck in the SEC regardless. And I think that, like, he'll be like, dang, Florida State just might not really be that place where I can do it in the next um Five years, five to ten years. And I think it – so I think it makes sense from his side. I think it makes sense from Bamba's side. Maybe not as much sense as, like, Kalen DeBoer because you could argue that Florida State, like, their ceiling is higher as a program, I guess, than Washington. But I think this one makes sense from both sides too, personally. But I also think – the only thing I think that would keep him at Florida State is that, like, he's, like, completely just mad at the system and just wants to go scorched earth Mm -hmm. and, like, win at Florida State. So we'll see. Any? Do you guys have any thoughts on that one? Or I don't know if that one,
0: that one's written down. Uh, yeah, it was. He's And he's the second of the three that apparently they've honed in on. Okay. So it's DeBoer, Norvell, and then, well, I mean, I guess it'll probably come up later even if he's not written down. But Tommy Reese is apparently the other the interesting that's been sort of <laughs> honed in on. <laughs> to me, is cra- crazy. So we can get to that after we talk about Norvell. Um I think it makes most sense from, like, which coach should, like... Is it best for which coach to go? Because I think he's sort of, like, capped out in the ACC. At least with the Boar, you can say, okay, they're joining the Big Ten. He's building something. There's potential there. With Norvell and the ACC out is now. Jared, I mean, you talked about all this. Um, He's just sort of capped out at this point as to where they can go. Yes, the expanded playoff will make it easier for them to make it in. But with, like, the revenue and everything, they're kind of behind. So I think for him... He's probably gonna. It makes most sense for him to jump ship now, from Bama's perspective. And I mean, I've talked about this with every coach. Don't talk about it again. It's selling the continuity of success. And I think, mm-hmm. while he's not DeBoer level in terms of that, he's better than, um, you know, Sarkeesian, Kiff Kiffin. On that point, he was really good at Memphis all his years. Above five hundred, made the Cotton Bowl in his last year. Florida State, you can excuse the first few years of, like, really having to build from the ground up. Still not great. Like, still not that immediate, immediate success. But I think he's somewhere in the middle of that selling the continuity of success. So, I think, while DeBoer feels like the most balanced, like, most positives on the side of the coach and most positives on the side of the program, Norvell is really high in terms of positives from, like, what the coach should do if he wants to, like, improve his own career trajectory and, like, manage winning program. And from the school's perspective, it's on the better end. Mm -hmm. But... I still think DeBoer is better; has shown that more consistent level of excellence and success. I'm really high in DeBoer, if that's not obvious from everything mm-hmm. I've said. I think he's oh yeah one of the best coaches out there. And I wish Notre Dame. Actually, I like Marcus Freeman a lot, and I have no idea how, <laughs> game, but you know, yeah. I wish there, I wish Notre Dame could sometimes see the immediate success from a new hire that DeBoer seems to have brought to Washington. Yeah, I know there's very different circumstances and factors, but yeah.
2: Why do you have any thoughts on Mike Norvell? Uh, I actually don't. I mean, this is kind of like one of those where it's like, I really don't know where I stand on this idea of Mike Norvell. Because like you said, like them kind of getting screwed out of it for Alabama. I don't know. It feels yeah. I, like I don't know like what his mindset really is really going to be to, like you said, go, go scorched earth and be like, forget that. I'm going to win at Florida State or if people – don't necessarily believe, you know. Again, this whole momentum thing I keep talking about. the People don't necessarily believe in him because they were left out because they, they were undefeated, and maybe that mm-hmm. that's kind of like a bad taste in people's mouth, and it's a, just a thing that's associated with him right now. I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of like strong opinions on this. Is this is be definitely a wait and see
1: situation for me? If he yeah. were to get hired, mm-hmm. that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Um. All right, yeah, what about from there? From here, it's just, like, kind of wild card names. Can I throw out my first wild card, actually?
0: Go for it.
1: What about Pete Carroll? What about Pete Carroll going to Alabama? He's the same age as Nick Saban, but he still seems super, super energetic. I don't mm-hmm. know if he'd want to do the recruiting grind and all that stuff. And, like, yeah. I don't know if coaches that go to the NFL, like, want to go back to college. I don't know how, how much that's happened, mm-hmm. but... What about Pete Carroll? It's a wild card. It's not going to be one of their first choices. But I think you give him a call if you're Alabama. That's what I think.
2: He, uh, I think him being super old is, like, the thing that takes him totally out of it. You
0: know? Yeah, like, yeah. I have with Wyatt. He's the I same age as me. Nick Saban. Yeah, but, like, he yeah, just retired. Want to Nick like,
2: uh, Saban just yeah. retired <laughs>
1: because it's, like, I, you but know, it's Pete like Carroll those... wants to keep coaching, though. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, we don't know.
0: I don't know. I think they want to like build for the future a little bit, and just by the nature of how old Pete Carroll is, he's not going to be there probably for more than seven to ten years. That's I think fair. they want to try and have another, another Saban-esque. I think it's worth the call. If you want the continuity thing, I think it's nice, but I think that the hire has to be someone you're also sort of building for the future, and by hiring somebody who's the same age as the guy who just retired, I think you a little bit sort of are admitting you can- that He's a stopgap in some ways to the next, like, generational coach. I wonder if he's fine with that, though. He's, like, he has nothing left to prove. He's won a Super Bowl. He's won a national
1: championship. Nothing left yeah. to prove. We're just going to, like, it's kind of like, all right, we kind of struck out on some of our pe- some of our candidates. We need a little stopgap. Pete Carroll will just do it for, like, four years. Be really good. Might win us a national championship, too. And then after he retires, go on. I don't know. It'll be an easier person to follow than Nick Saban.
0: Most likely. But I don't know. That's fair though.
1: Very fair. Yeah. And yeah, I don't wild card think it's names. the worst hire
0: by any chance. I mean, the third. I mean, in terms of wild card names, the third name they've apparently honed in on is Tommy Reese. Yeah. Uh, offensive coordinator. Which I think can't Nick go
2: save an assistant man. Best yeah. job
0: in the world.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just c- maybe it's ridiculous to me because I still remember him being the very average Notre Dame quarterback of my youth <laughs> and to imagine him at thirty one being the head coach of Alabama after they had a fine year and after at Notre Dame he was okay to good, like it just doesn't seem I don't know how you sell that to Alabama mm-hmm. Brass of this offensive coordinator who's really young, um and has been good but not great. Like it's not like in his one year at Alabama they lit the world on fire. They snuck into the playoff. They lost in the first round of the playoff. Yeah, they won the SEC. But if if they come out and this offense had been the greatest in history and they'd won the national title, then I think it's maybe a different story. But I don't know how much of his success is a product of him or just being in the Alabama system, right? Mm. So it seems to- He was successful. Yeah, he did yeah. a really
1: good job with Jalen Millroth. But I still agree, yeah, he wasn't like, light like the world on fire.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be crazy. I don't know. They can't
1: they can't do a first time head coach at Alabama. That can't
0: Yeah. There's no way.
1: Wyatt? Um, any other give it the, or anybody, I guess, any other wild card names you want to throw out there.
2: Um no. I mean, like I'm with Lucas. Like my my guy is DeBoer. Like that's the guy <laughs> I think he should yeah. be the
0: person to take this job. Yeah. I mean the other names that are thrown out there are Dabo, which Alabama fans want less than anything. There were videos yeah. of Alabama fans chanting like I forget what exactly it was, but basically we don't want Dabo. Anything but Dabo Nick Saban. Like that. Any anything but Dabo. Yeah. Um this and he, a hasn't, he
1: hasn't yeah. involved he hasn't evolved with college football. So yeah, no, I don't think he and
2: did. I I heard Joel Klatt say the yeah. same exact thing is it's like the game has passed him by. At this
1: mm-hmm.
2: point. And that's what mm-hmm. make Nick, what made Nick Saban such a good coach is that he the game never passed him by and maybe he feels like it's going to pass him by now with the whole next like this next year is going to be so different but yeah he was always on top of everything he always had the hottest new offensive coordinator recruit recruit type that he could get mm-hmm. and uh dabo is not there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a couple of years ago yeah but not right now
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah and a lot of Alabama fans said he's just too corny for the job. Like, being the Alabama head coach is a very, like, demanding, like, gritted out type of job. And I don't <laughs> think fans would respond well to his, to his personality, which whatever. Um, the other two names that I've seen thrown out are Marcus Freeman and James Franklin. Um, I don't want to lose Freeman. I like Freeman a lot. I think this is a fine hire for Alabama. Um, I stumbled upon this article um, where some newspaper in Alabama sent out a survey to Alabama fans to ask to, them to rank, like, from 1 to 10, how they would feel about certain hires. Um, let me pull this back up. Um, of their coach, ranked from, like, 1 to 12. And Dabo, for example, was in dead last. Fans ranked him an average, I think, <laughs> of 1 1. 1.7 out of 10. Oh, man. Um, yeah, 1.7 out of 10 um if they were to hire him and freeman on here was a middle of the pack he was like 5.2 or no 5.6 right in the middle Mm. i think that's what it is he's young he has um sort of you know experience at a a high level program but hasn't really proven it that much notre dame's been good in his two years but not great um so yeah he seems notably to me he seems very
1: bought in at notre dame right now and is like, like making progress on changing the administration stance on things and the only job he would leave Notre Dame for is Ohio State. And that's what I think.
0: Yeah. And then James Franklin, I just... As much as Wyatt loves Penn State, I just don't think he's shown <laughs> that he can compete at that type of program enough. They lose to Ohio if, State and Michigan every single year when they should be competing yeah. with them. If Kalen DeBoer and Mike
1: Norvell say no, though, I, I think he's the next best option. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Then, then after that, if, if, if all of them say no... Which, I don't know, maybe maybe people want the Alabama job way more than I think they do. Um, you might have to look at, like, an NFL guy or something, or, like, maybe Utah's coach. I don't know. Yeah. I
0: don't, I don't really, know really know where you maybe. go after
1: that. They'll find
0: somebody. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it'll be super, super interesting. If it's not Kalen DeBoer, it'll be very interesting, because it'll just be like, who knows? <laughs> kind of at that point, I feel like. Um, but let's go to the NFL coaching carousel. There's a lot of open positions right now, but rather than focusing in on every opening, let's talk about like who we think are good candidates for jobs or like what sort of knock on effects are gonna happen from these changes. We've already discussed a couple kind of amongst ourselves, but why why don't we start with the biggest one, Bill Belichick and the Patriots? Maybe not the most surprising, but still pretty seismic. Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick and the Patriots are parting ways. What are your thoughts on that whole situation?
2: Um, I don't really know who the best person for this job is, because it's finding itself in like a really bizarre situation over the last several years, Uh, or it's in a bizarre place since you know for the last several years because of Bill Belichick's impact on it. Um, We know that they're going to have to look for a new head coach with Bill Belichick, but they're also going to have to replace a GM, which Bill Belichick was the acting GM of that job for the last twenty or something years. And before Bill, before it was just Bill, which was, happened in, like, 2021, um, there was the de facto GM in Dave Zeigler who went off to the Raiders, who was then fired this off season, who was, like, the guy that he leaned on. He was the head of their player personnel. He, they trusted him with scouting and uh, roster construction and things like that. So Bill has, has taken on the role individually, and since Zeigler had left, has yet to really fill that role. So the Patriots are going to have to not only find a new head coach to replace Bill Belichick, they're going to have to go and get somebody who can really like shape the future of this team. Because this team, they have the number three overall pick. They're going to have like $74 million in cap space. They're not very good. And although the defense was really good, that might also just be because Bill Belichick was there. So they're going to have to kind of hit a lot of really good coaches in succession here or good people to fill these slots in succession Um, the couple the Gerard Mayo is like the the front runner for this name for this thing and here's the thing not that I think Gerard Mayo would be a bad coach I don't think the New England Patriots same with Alabama should try to stay within the Belichick tree we have yet to see Mm. that work Anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. luckily for the Patriots, they saw Josh McDaniels flunk out again at a different job. And I think he was kind of like the person who was being groomed to be the next head coach of the Patriots. But it it just – they need to, like, turn a whole new leaf. Ben Johnson's not taking the job. Um, the Like, Harbaugh's not taking that job. So they're not necessarily going to get a guy who – is maybe a hot commodity. Uh, I think that they're gonna have to go and get somebody clever, let's say, somebody who it's like mm. maybe they're kind of a good name and then they grow into being a really good head coach.
0: I think there's a boring sort of choice here that could work out well. They didn't mention Wyatt, uh, which is Mike Vrabel, which kind of balances. But, that, but that's the... that's
2: too connected to me.
0: I think. Yeah. No, I understand that. I understand that. I don't think it's necessarily the best hire but I think that's what the hire is going to end up being because mm-hmm. you can sell it as a mix of the continuity from the Belichick era. He played under him. He's a defensive mind. But you can also sell it as outside. He like sort of cut his chops coaching outside of New England, obviously. Um, you know, with the Titans was where he had his most success. So I think that in that sense, Vrabel probably makes the most sense as a hire. Or is, maybe not makes the most sense, but is the most likely hire from the Patriots' perspective because he sort of mixes that... I feel like I've used the word continuity so much today. <laughs> so The mix of the continuity of the Belichick era, which I think is something that fans' management will sort of want mm-hmm. um, to see that there's, like, the continuing of that vision, but does it with enough of sort of not having, you know, been within that system for the last little while.
1: Yeah, from what I've seen anecdotally... Um, it seems like a lot of the fans do want Mike Vrabel. And that was one of the more – I mean, I guess they were all kind of surprising. Or not all of them, but, like, maybe one of the three or four surprising coaching changes was Vrabel, um, mm-hmm. along with Pete Carroll and Saban. Um, yeah, I don't have too much more to say about well,
2: that. Well, I think oh, – here's here's the interesting thing that I was telling Jared about, that hmm. Um, I, I've seen a lot of mock drafts these last couple of weeks – with the mm-hmm. and especially now the NFL season is over, we're going to see a lot more um, mock drafts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we'll, it's, yeah, we'll talk about the Bears here at the end, but with Matt Eberflus staying on, there's a chance that maybe Justin Fields sticks behind. I, I won't spoil what's going to happen in our conversation mm-hmm. here, but if they were to trade the number one overall pick, I saw a mock draft where like Atlanta trades up like pick eight in a first next year. And then if some other team outside of the top five were to try to trade up, you know, that, that's something that, that you try to keep your eye on. And I, and I was thinking to myself, like, the Giants can match any of those packages. And I think the Giants should be interested mm-hmm. in finding a new quarterback next year. So why would Chicago take pick eight when they could take pick six and then do the Giants pick next year? And then instead of, like, pick 45, they take pick 36 from the Giants or something like that. If the, Patriots, if the next Patriots GM was like, I'm going to trade up to number one, it's a super enticing package that I don't think Chicago would be able to say no to. Pick three, pick 34 or something like that, uh, and then maybe a first next year and a third or, or second next year, the year after that. And then Chicago would then be able to keep fields, draft Marvin Harrison Jr., being contention for still like a really talented guy, and then get a first-round pick of the year after that. And then the Patriots would be able to kick off their next regime with a quarterback we think is generational in Caleb Williams or Drake May. So yeah, it's uh it's, it's something to really think about. I think that that's really gonna be a possibility when uh when the next GM and, and head coach are announced, depending on how much of a splash they
1: want.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. Um very interesting. We'll see. Uh, the next one is the Seahawks. Pete Carroll obviously is moving into an advisory role with the Seahawks and not being the coach. The the thing I just want to say about this one basically is like this is the job that I think Dan Quinn leaves the Cowboys for. Um he's like already he's already been there as a DC. I kind of think he was like waiting for maybe the Cowboys job, it's the head coach job for the Cowboys to open. But I don't – unless, like, Mike McCarthy, like, loses the first game, like, in a very embarrassing fashion, I just don't really see that happening. And they're playing the Packers. They really should win that game, and I think they will. Um, I just don't think that – Cowboys' job will open up, for example. Um, But the Seahawks' job is open, and I think that's, like, a decently good roster. Um, And that's, like, a – you're not taking over, like, a completely floundering team. Like, they did did pretty – they just barely missed out in the playoffs this year. That's basically my thought on it.
0: Yeah, the Seahawks are a weird one to me because unlike, um, I don't know, unlike some of the other ones, there's something there. But I almost wonder if you're a coach, if it's not a very appealing spot to go to because you can't really craft it as yep. much in your own image maybe because you can't really build from the ground up. Like they're not in a position where they have the assets to make a big trade, trade up for a quarterback, like really start from scratch. And so, I don't know, I to me, even though the teams are – theoretically worse i think taking something like the falcons job which we'll talk about next um is a more appealing option for a coach even if they're in theory or a team. because the seahawks just seem like this sort of like they're in this weird space now where they're good but they let go of their coach but they, it's like it's harder to craft your own identity i think because of how the roster is structured now so i don't know
2: yeah yeah i mean it's pretty pretty much set and the, the the bright side though is any coach that goes in is gonna go into really nice infrastructure with the ownership and the GM because mm-hmm. the, the GM yeah. can draft he like he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. they they hit all the time and maybe Pete Carroll had like a really big influence on that on on helping with scouting players and all that but at the end of the day the amount of talent that they're able to get outside of around one especially is remarkable so I think mm-hmm. that. A lot of head coaches should feel really secure going to this, knowing that you're always going to have a talented roster. I do agree with you, though, Lucas, that the roster is, like, almost so set that you're like, I'm mm-hmm. going to have to go in, and it's going to have to be me and Geno Smith, and it's going to have to be these defensive players, and, like, this is, like the, the, this is basically what I have, and I don't get to mm-hmm. make any major swings.
0: Yeah, it does seem like a Dan Quinn type job, though. I think that's I think is a mistake. Interesting. Why? You
2: know, like the era of the hiring the defensive coaches is kind of over. It might kind of restart here. We're listening to too much
1: Colin Coward.
0: Well, I don't know. D'Amico Ryan's worked out well this year. Yeah, D'Amico Ryan's working.
2: It did, but he also has a really sweet offensive coordinator, and I think that you know be good at hiring. Yeah, I guess so. I think eventually. The well w- runs pretty dry, and I don't. I'm not mm. necessarily one of those people who think, you know, that all defensive coaches are gonna fail and it's never gonna work out. But mm-hmm. it just to me, I think that like Dan Quinn kind of had his chance, and now he's he has a chance to be like the highest paid defensive coordinator, which is also a great job. But as far as a head coach, yeah. knows, I don't know how excited I'd be about that. Mm. That's
1: fair.
2: You know, like uh, like Vic Fangio. You know, and mm-hmm. if Bill Belichick wasn't chasing the winning, um, the win record, I would say, like, dude, the next three years, just become the highest paid defensive coordinator in the league and just dominate mm-hmm. on that side of the ball and don't worry about anything else. I think that there's some value to that for a lot of these
1: D guys. Mm. Yeah. Um, what about the Falcons, Lucas? What are your thoughts there?
0: I think this is a really appealing job um, just because of the breadth of offensive talent at the skill positions that you have. And the biggest problem under under Arthur, Arthur Smith, is that yeah. his name? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Completely blank there for a second. I forgot to write it down. Um, is that he just never utilized his offensive weapons to the capacity. Like, the, the minimum touches that Bijan got – um, and Kyle Pitts never really developing, despite being this like, incredible tight end prospect. Um, so you want to bring in somebody here who I think can maximize those. And from a coming-into-this-position perspective, I think if you're a coach, this is really a good one because you're basically just a quarterback short of, I think, a really good competitive roster. And like sort of wide I alluded to, I don't know if they can necessarily put together a package to trade up to one, but I think you could at least put up a package to trade up to get, I don't know, a little higher up if you want, if there's not a team, if there's a team willing to be a trade partner. And even at eight, somebody like Penix I can follow that they're you. Stuck and I think at that's a fine choice. Yeah, because like I, I guess who's the team that's w- willing to
2: move on? The The Bears, if they want to trade up, if they want to trade the first overall pick, like I said, I think the Giants offer a better package. I think the Patriots offer a better package. Even if they offered mm-hmm. first-round pick this year, first-round pick next year, second-round pick this year, second-round pick th- next year, both of those teams above them just naturally have better draft capital. Um, and then, yeah, the Commanders aren't trading out. They need to get an, a new future. The Patriots with the new GM and head coach aren't going to trade out. I, I don't think that they're going to do like the Patriot way of trading down. So they're going to mm-hmm. probably take another guy. At that point, Marvin Harrison Jr. is staring the Cardinals right in the face. So they might take it. If they don't, then the then we're giving Marvin Harrison Jr. to the Chargers. And I don't mm-hmm. think that. And I don't know. Like I, I think that they're going to be stuck unless yeah. they want to move up to. Six, and the Giants don't like anybody. But at that point, like, what are we doing?
0: Yeah. No, okay, that's fair. Even in that case, I think you can get somebody like Penix who falls too. I think so. And I think, aside from the point, um, it looks more and more ridiculous by the day that they were very adamant and, like, putting out, you know, leaking things about how they didn't want Lamar Jackson last year because they're basically a Lamar Jackson short of a – Everybody looks stupid doing that. Yeah. But I think the Falcons especially because I feel like they were one of the more adamant ones. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, I think to, to, for the Falcons' perspective, you need to pick somebody who can maximize all the crazy offensive talent you have outside of the quarterback position. I think Ben Johnson makes a lot of sense here for the, from the Lions. Um, he's very clearly shown himself to be a great offensive mind. He's probably the hottest coordinator prospect. Um, so, yeah, I think Ben Johnson's probably top here, if not him. Frank Smith from the Dolphins has been sort of a a name I've been seeing floated around here. He was voted the number one offensive coordinator in the league by the players. Maybe try and go after Harbaugh if he leaves. I think if Harbaugh leaves, this is one of the better landing spots he could end up at. So, yeah, I think you go for an offensive mind here. Um, But you just need to maximize that talent, and they need to pick somebody who can do that.
2: Yeah, I I think so as well. Um, I mentioned the coordinator for the texans his name bobby Slovic, who is uh, a really mm-hmm. talented i think that this is this is like a sneaky destination for him to go to i i don't yeah. think ben johnson would choose this i don't think harbaugh would choose this over like if the chargers were to be the team out there that you know either one of them got their pick at if it was the chargers or this i think that they would take the chargers or depending on if like mm-hmm. buffalo becomes available or you know the Eagles or the Cowboys become available given, like, a huge
1: blow-up. I think that they would probably pick up. You those. think all these jobs – you have, like, a super short leash. I'm glad you're not a genius. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> a lot I, well, of coaches think, are lucky that you're not no, um, an owner. It's, it's <laughs> not me.
2: It's the precedent set by the teams themselves and, like, the standards that they hold themselves to. The Cowboys are not like, we're just happy to be here. They want to win a Super Bowl. And Jerry mm. Jones is, like, very much – not get any younger. Like, it's it's going to get to a point where Jerry Jones wants to see it go down while he's the owner. Uh, I know that he did before, but it, it's been a while. Um, and then I think the Eagles just have a, a naturally short leash. They're one of the hottest leasers on, on the, the league right now. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think that those jobs have become more desirable. So I think that B- Bobby Slovic is, like, the sneaky name to look out for or obviously the natural pick is who's a hot name underneath Kyle Shanahan right now, and we'll just take him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree that this is like a really desirable job. They have a fantastic offensive line, tons of offensive weapons. Their defense is not bad. Also, by the way, um, Lou Onoramu from the Bengals, I know that he's a defensive guy, but he's one of the best coverage guys in the league. It would be really fun to watch him use this defensive system as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's kind of like one of those people I'd look out for. But I, I definitely think they lean offense. I definitely think that they get Penix at eight, and they just start their next, like, spread yeah. offense type.
1: Yeah. Um. Lastly, we'll talk about the Bears. The thing that I that I want to say, I guess, about the Bears is I respect that they said they looked at the Bears doing, like, pretty well down the stretch, you know, winning – at least splitting their last four, but their last six going four and two. And, like, okay, that's pretty good. Um, And I respect them keeping the con- – and Ryan Poles has done a pretty good job as GM, I would say, too, um, bringing in some good players and stuff. So I, I respect yeah. that. Outside of that. They Chase saw play. that, and, like, we'll say –
2: Huh? Outside of the
1: Chase Claypool trade. Chase Claypool is bad. But he's on the Dolphins yeah. now, though, so it does not matter. Um, <laughs> But – um, they've done – those two have done, like, a pretty good job, I think. And I respect, like, the owner saying I kind of – or the team president, whoever made the decision, like, wanting to do the continuity. But that being said, I think there's – it's, like, um, malpractice for them not to draft Caleb Williams. Like, I, I understand – or I don't understand, I will say, the whole, like, they be, they might believe in Justin Fields and stuff. Because he just wasn't – he wasn't even really good in these last six games. Like, he has not developed as a passer – he had he had one touchdown or no touchdowns in each of their last like eight games. He only had two really good games this year which were against Washington and the Broncos when they were floundering like the week after they gave up 70 points or something like that. So like it and like sure he has his rushing prowess or whatever, but this year he didn't he didn't really build on what he did last year. And the just the development of a passer isn't there and you need your quarterback to be a good passer in this league. And if a guy and then it's one thing if it's like Oh, Will Levis is the best quarterback in this draft, or whatever. But it's Caleb Williams. You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's like doing your organization a disservice to not move on from Justin Fields. I think a lot of your you're not wanting to. I think a lot of your I want to, want them to keep Justin Fields. Why? It is because you want the Giants to trade up to number one. That's where that's where your <laughs> opinion came. From. I mean, part of it is I, honestly, <laughs> I want a chance
2: for the Giants to actually go and get a quarterback. So if the if if the Bears keep him, it, you know, it keeps like another name in the hat where we can maybe they move on, maybe they, a quarterback slips further down. If they stay at one and they draft like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Caleb Williams goes to the Commanders, I'm done. I'm done, watching. This. <laughs> like it, it's gonna be it's the hilarious. it's gonna be like, the end of me, man. That won't happen. No, I don't. They can't they can't stay so. at one and draft somebody else. Um. Yeah. The, here's just the thing: is to keep the head coach and the GM. But to also fire the offensive coordinator at the same time, it feels like it's like he's the scapegoat. It's like, well, our like we like he's the one who was holding Fields back. And a lot of people kind of agree that Getsey is Oof. not necessarily a great offensive coordinator. But it just feels it would feel weird to do that and then to still also trade Justin Fields. You know? And like it just feels like everything is lined up. All everyone's like, we love him. The locker room loves him. You're, you you are in, <laughs> you know, mur- murky waters here. Like you could lose a locker room if you trade a guy that everybody loves in Justin Fields, which apparently is really important. Um, they fired the the OC, but they kept the head coach. Like I feel like if they were, if there was like no belief that they could kind of make it work with how they're currently constituted, they would have just like cleaned house and like, okay, we're done with the head coach and all of his staff and then now we're going to let the next player... Because it it would just be weird to me to think that this team believes that Caleb Williams is, like, they're all of a sudden now going to, like, win the division and that Iberflus is going to, like, develop another quarterback and we're going to trust him to grow the next quarterback, like, even more. Or he's going to hire an offensive coordinator that makes sense for Caleb Williams, like... I feel like they kind of they're running it back almost is what it feels like.
1: I don't think so. I think like this is another thing that people have been bringing up too. Like even if Caleb Williams is only just as good as Justin Fields, Justin Fields you have to pay. He's on like year four of his rookie contract, yeah. and this is like the thing is you're resetting you're resetting the salary thing. Yeah, I guess and just giving so, your team more.
2: But but here's the thing about the the keeping Ibraflus is if you trade Justin Fields. Then you're basically saying that I can't, I can't get him 10% better. And if you can't get him 10% better, him 10% better. then you're, being, you're basically saying Caleb Williams is ready to go right here today. And if this is as good as it gets, we're totally fine with that. If they can't, but yeah, if they but can't yeah, develop, I mean, that feels fine. 10% because better. Justin Fields.
1: I, I don't agree you, I that don't Fields, think you can't. Justin is not Fields, Fields went passer. from 58, 58 completion percentage. To a whopping sixty-one percent, his his numbers mirror Lamar
2: Jackson, and he's just on a worse team. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. His number his numbers mirror Lamar Jackson's. He's just on a worse team, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't agree with the notion that he's just like this errant passer because everybody before this contract year believed that Lamar Jackson had yet to develop as a passer. He wasn't gonna. Be, he wasn't there yet. Um, he has a he has a hard cap ceiling, and you can see that they traded they 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 got a new offensive coordinator they invested in some weapons this offseason and then now lamar jackson is on his way to win his second mvp the offense looks phenomenal they're the number one seed and i'm not saying that justin Fields all of a sudden is going to like become the best quarterback in the nfl or top three quarterback in the nfl but i do think that you can convince me that if you traded down got a new offensive coordinator uh who really knew how to develop quarterbacks you could get more out of Justin Fields to make him consistent enough to win the division, to make the playoffs, and probably win a playoff game.
1: I don't agree. I also I don't agree that the Bears are bad either. That like they their defense no, they're not bad. Their defense actually played very well down the stretch. Yeah, they're not bad.
2: Their offensive line isn't very good, and they're DJ more centric as far as weapons go. Mm-hmm. And the Ravens are. The opposite.
1: Yeah, but 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 again, like if you're you're not gonna okay, if you need to upgrade the team to make Justin Fields better, you're you're gonna have less room to do that with Fields because he's gonna be a more expensive. I mean, you could just tag than him. Caleb
2: you,
1: you, have the, <laughs> you have this year <laughs> ta- franchise tagging is expensive. It's like yeah. it's, it's like
2: thirty three million. It's it's significantly less than what, that's very it's expensive significantly for, less for a quarterback that's completely But the cap, forget the sixty two percent. I mean, he's doing fine. He had some bad throws in the last nuts. game, but I mean, he's doing he's doing just fine.
1: 16 touchdowns to 9 picks this year, Wyatt. That's not anywhere near good enough.
2: Yeah, I just I think that I can see it. And plus with this with this quarterback, <laughs> with this quarterback draft class not necessarily panning out the way it is like with Trevor Lawrence kind of floundering right now, you could be like we got the best quarterback oh. in this draft class. And, and I and I, th- I <laughs> believe I that's that. that's something.
1: I, that's crazy. But okay. Um, we'll just finish it off real quick with some uh quick takes. Um, uh, the other NFL vacancies included the Raiders, Chargers, Commanders, Panthers. Anybody have any quick thoughts on those? No.
0: Yeah, I think the Raiders should stick with Antonio Pierce.
2: Yeah, it's so funny. They're so good at hiring uh interim Interim head coaches <laughs> yeah. just never
1: get the actual head coach right. <laughs> yeah. My other take that I heard this week on a podcast, I've heard this a lot actually, is that everybody – a lot of Notre Dame fans try to box us in into being like a blue-collar um, offense or something because like it's been our history or our DNA or whatever. But we don't mm-hmm. need to do that. We don't need to abide by yeah. whatever our history is. Like it's funny to give our uh, Notre Dame a blue-collar tag – as a little podcast joke or whatever, but mm-hmm. now when we're
0: actually constricting what sort of offense we can run, that's ridiculous. I think it's also just because it's in the Midwest. Like, it, I think yes, it is. <laughs> we're totally, like we hit on something when we talk,
1: when we like coined the blue collar stuff and all, or not coined it, but we talked about it all of it. Yeah, they just think because we're like this old brand Midwest that like oh they can't pass, they have
0: to run. Yeah, exactly ridiculous. Ugh. Although I don't know, it worked out. sma was the number one PFF graded running back this past year, so good for him which is cool but, but we i want to throw we off. won nine games or 10 games with yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah um all right well i think that's all we've got for today thank you for listening in and we'll be back with some more content soon make sure you're subscribed on apple Podcasts, on spotify and on soundcloud so you can follow along with all those episodes we will talk to you later